You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. Okay, I've got a fun one for you this week. I had a chance to sit down with professional triathlete, mountain bike racer, coach, and five-time world champion, the very rad Melanie McQuaid. Melanie is super diverse and has incredible longevity in sport. She has raced as a pro athlete in four different sports and holds titles in a slew of disciplines, including mountain bike endurance, mountain bike cross country, mountain bike short track, road racing, Olympic sprint, half Ironman triathlon, and off-road Xterra and ITU cross triathlon. And after 20 years and at the age of 48, she is still kicking ass. She placed third at Ironman Chattanooga this year. And most recently, she finished 10th place at Xterra World Championships in Maui just a couple of weeks ago. We talk about all of that here. And what I really like about this conversation is that it illustrates the unique experience each of us has with the menopausal transition. Over the course of the past year or so, we've heard an array of experiences from professional athletes. We've heard from some who have had their boats rocked during the transition and had to do some course corrections, and from some who have had to take wholesale breaks from sport to get back on track. Today, we hear from one on the other end of the spectrum. Melanie has largely been able to keep on keeping on without a whole lot of disruption, so I'm happy to bring her perspectives here. Melanie is funny and real and honest, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Okay, before we get to it, final reminder here that we have those podcast guides for you. I took our three most popular episodes from last year. That's Breaking Down the Science with Dr. Stacey Sims, Weighty Matters with Dietitian Diana Reed and Estrogen Matters with Drs. Abram Blooming and Carol Tavris, and I boiled them down into easy-to-use guide sheets that include the background on each guest, an overview of the information we shared, and clearly written action steps along with links to references. And you can get them right now. Just go to feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide to download them. And I got to say, I got a very, very sweet message from a woman this week who told me that her running partner is deaf. So she was really psyched that she could share these podcast episodes with her, which really warmed my heart. Okay, quick reminder that you can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have our private and ever-growing Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. And if you have ideas for shows, you can hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. If you haven't yet, please go and give our show a rating. I really appreciate all the hearts and stars and five-star reviews. We have huge things planned next year, and this is just helping us grow, helping other people find the show, and it makes me super happy. So thanks so much. All right. Truly, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer, making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, 
go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code HITPLAY, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E, and the code is HITPLAY, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. Melanie, I'm so stoked to have you here. I have been a longtime uh, fan of yours. I think we might have, I was light years behind you, but I think we might have actually been at a, a world championship race in Tahoe in 2005. Um, I know I was there. You must've been there. You probably <laughs> won. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, oh wait. Tahoe, the ex-Terra U.S. nationals. Yes. I yeah, yeah. U.S. Won. U.S. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Was nationals. Yeah. U.S. nationals. Um, yeah. So, so I love that your racing resume says 1994 to present. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is a long ass time and a long time of very high performance, right? Like you, you just placed third, was it at Ironman Chattanooga? Yeah. Like that just yeah. happened. Yeah, it did just happen. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's crazy to me as well, for sure. Did you envision yourself still being like at the pointy end for this long? No, no, not at all. No. Like I, like, I think I, like I retired from racing multiple times, right? <laughs> I, like I think that there's there's been um, so many iterations of this career for me. So um, I'm like I'm just as like surprised, happy, um, curious, you know, just sort of rolling with the moment, like one year to the next, and um, you know, and and you know, here we are at the end of another year, and I'm like just curious and excited about what might happen next. Who knows? <laughs> I love that. That's a curiosity. It's funny. I just recorded another show and she must've used that same word like six times. Mm. It's so good to just be curious about like what's mm. around the corner. And it, there's something to be said for that. So can we talk a little bit about where you are in your, I don't know, let's call it your hormonal journey as, as a woman, you know, I mean, this is sort of the prism through which the show runs. You, you know, you're 40, 48 now. Is that correct? 48. Yep. Yep. Have you started yeah. experiencing any of the impacts of fluctuating hormones? Like oh, body for sure. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I like, I don't get a period anymore. Okay. Um, or I do really like really infrequently, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, um, and, uh, that's probably been about two years of that. Um, so, so certainly if I'm not menopausal, like, like I think, according to you have to have a full year without a period right. and by definition like, you're not yet, yeah but um 
So I don't know if I just keep like, like hitting the reset button. <laughs> so like, you know, 11 months and 23 days later, I hit the reset button on that. And, um, and so like, it's not official, but, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, changes that are happening, um, physically, uh, but I don't know that like I like I, I listen to a lot of people's symptoms and and the and you know the things that they're experiencing and I, I don't know that I find what I'm experiencing to be debilitating in some of the ways that other women are and and I think that maybe that's related to the fact that I didn't find my period itself debilitating like I I, I don't relate to um a lot of athletes issues with like, you know, one week of the month, they're completely incapacitated for training and things like that. So I, I never had any of those symptoms. So for me, maybe this whole journey is related to that, that, um, like the kind of hormonal fluctu fluctuations that I've experienced in my life are not mm -hmm. as extreme mm -hmm. as some other people. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't know that I'm, um, like, I don't know that I have a lot of like horror stories to share. Totally. Totally. Right no, that makes, that makes an actual, an awful lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, so if, if the symptomology sort of isn't disruptive to your training, have you noticed any changes in uh, your power output, your, you know, like the, just the pure metrics of your, of your training that might be related to some of the muscle changes that happen in the body composition changes that can happen during this time. Mm -hmm. Have, have mm -hmm. you experienced any of that? No, no. Okay. So, um, so I was just looking cause I, like after Chattanooga, I decided to um, go to Maui um, and race the XR worlds. Cause I have a, a professional athlete racing there and I have some age groupers that are doing it as well. And I just thought, Hey, this would be a fun way to end the year. And if I want to do another Ironman, um, I'm a strong believer in um, sort of speed potential, which we can talk about later, but so I just needed to, um, sort of readdress, uh, that. And, and so I kind of went back and, and I, I, this, this curiosity has been, um, for me, like a lifelong thing. So I actually have training diaries going back to 1996. Um, nice. I think I have 1994, but it's so poor, you know, it's just like this little book and I was just writing a whole bunch of stuff about how I was partying and I have, I have the same, I, we can compare notes. <laughs> my first, my first year of racing was not like, but anyway, so, um, so I do actually have some numbers to attribute to what I was doing, like in 2011, when I won IT Worlds, and I won a whole bunch of the series. And, and like, I, I feel like 2011, I was at one of my better body compositions. Um, I was really fit. I was really good as an athlete that year. And I was really poor mentally, because I was going through a lot of, um, you know, life changes that year. Um, but I was fast. And so I just busted out 2011 to kind of look at what the numbers were. And like in a, in a cursory comparison, I don't think that what I can do right now is that much different than then. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to take into account that I was using a wired power meter back then, right? Like I had a power tap. Um, uh, I didn't have power on my mountain bike. Um, so there's just a whole bunch of like non-comparables that you have to weigh into that, but I can look at how fast I was running. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, I can see stuff like that. And I don't think that there's really been, um, a really big difference in speed. Um, I just think that how I arrive at that is a lot different, not because of menopause or aging, but because of the reality of like what I do now. Right. So, so I think that that would be something that like we could talk about it maybe a bit later is that it's just things are different. So, but I don't think I'm slower. And, and I, and I, I recognize that at some point I'm going to be slower. Um, I just don't know that I've, I've reached that point yet. And I want to dig into that and probably sooner rather than later, my, before we leave at all, I, I am curious, like aside from the spotty periods, you know, is there anything else that you're experiencing that you would attribute to like being in the perimenopausal transition? Like the, is your sleep the same, you know, all this kind of stuff that can crop up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't drink very much. I used to be able to drink lots of wine. So I yeah. find drinking really debilitating. <laughs> like I can have <laughs> maybe one glass of wine, but I, I really don't tolerate alcohol very well. 
Um, and that's sad. I used to have a wine cellar. I used to be totally into wine and now I just got rid of it all because that's not happening. Um, which is probably better for me as an athlete. Okay. So there might be like, sometimes you can look at this stuff as a, as a, as a wake up call and a silver lining, like alcohol really is like kind of poisonous. So it's lovely and wonderful, but maybe less is more. Um, and then, like I do have, I, I still sleep really well. So right. there, there's that. I, I, I do actually sleep quite well. I'm not a napper, but when I go to sleep at night, generally I go to sleep. But I have had when, um, for instance, when I took a break from training last year, uh, like the end of 2019, no, end of 2020, I did an event with my group in September. We did this hill climbing race. And then we were renovating our house and um, during that time, there's a lot of trees, people. And I just said, okay, forget it. I'm going to take like a massive break here because I have nothing coming. I don't know if I'm going to race again. I'm going to take this break. And so I took like three months off and I was, you know, I wasn't like completely inactive, but I wasn't training and, uh, I got really out of shape and I gained some weight and, uh, I was really stressed out because of the renovation. And during that time, I started to notice I was like getting too hot at night. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't, so I think I was getting like a lot of the temperature regulation issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, and it probably, and my body was just feeling terrible. Right. So, um, I couldn't use like the, the renovation we did was the gym that I have in, in, in house now. And, uh, and so I really wasn't lifting weights. I wasn't, I was just kind of running whenever I was like really stressed out. So, I think my worst symptoms were when I wasn't treating myself like an athlete. Um, Interesting. So that was a wake up call for me. And probably um, like, I think the the biggest thing I struggle with at this point in my career, and it's, and it's weird to be talking about myself as an athlete right now, um, because a lot of times when I come to a podcast, I'm, I'm talking to my talking to everybody as a coach because right, I would right. I've like, heard you on fast talk and I've heard you. Yeah. On yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd say like a coach is like 95% my identity right now. Like I, I don't even like, I, I like it, Chattanooga was weird because like, it's the first time that I've actually felt like I was like validated as a professional athlete in a really long time. Um, like for instance, when we went to the pro meeting, nobody even looked at me. Like nobody even like talked to me. I wasn't even there. I was invisible, right? Like I was this old lady sitting at the back wearing a mask, where you know, and, and so, <laughs> like and literally like, wearing a mask. Like I deserve that, right? I'm like I like nobody. Like there's it. it, it I I don't I don't really promote myself as an athlete anymore. Like there's athletes that are brand new, never even heard of me, never met me. So why should they care about me or whatever? So, um, but that that's that's kind of you you internalize that sort of um reaction from people that you're not really a pro anymore. And so I kind of think, well, I'm not really even a pro anymore. Um, it's certainly not the number one um focus of my life. Whereas when I was racing Xterra, and like if I compare to myself in 2011, it was hell or high water for results. Um, and and now it's just like, hey, that was cool. But I have so much other stuff happening that you know um, I, I don't. Yeah, me me as an athlete. So anyways, it, yeah. So most of my athlete stuff is um, to learn um, as a coach. So. Anyway, so yeah, so like that when I take a break and then come back or, or it's just because I feel like, hey, there's more there and um, there's there's an experiment that I need to run on um, a way of programming and I'm going to test it out on myself because I still can. And, and that like is how me as an athlete and me as a coach get along. Oh, that's so interesting. So so when you before we we went into that, you, you said that things are different now. Like, so what did you mean by that? So, yeah, so uh, like, obviously <clears throat> there's, there's been a, a variety of iterations in my career. So I, I, I was a mountain biker starting in 1994. Um, I raced at, on the world cup until um, 2000. And then I thought I was going to retire there. So there's career number one. Um, I, I picked up a, a contract to race on the road that year. Um, and I also went to Xterra Worlds and came second. And so in 2001, I joined the National Triathlon Center um, and I was racing on the road for one race with a team with a doper 
who had an abusive director and they and basically I called everyone out and called the UCI and basically all this stuff um, and they told me that I was the problem um, and so basically they just held me hostage in this in this um, weird road contract, which essentially is the the catalyst for me to become a triathlete, um, and all this stuff in the end with the with the latest things about um, abuse in sport and pointing the finger at the person, like calling things out. This was I was on Genevieve Johnson's team, who later admitted to doping, and her coach um, slash you know partner at the time. Um, he has been banned from cycling forever, and you know you know, back in 2001, that almost was the end of my career for, yeah. for calling this out. So anyways, shout out to all the people um, calling this stuff out because, um, you know, in the end, it'll all come out. It all so comes back. I was going to race on the road. Um, I didn't anymore. And so I went to Xterra. And so my Xterra career ran from 2001 um, until 2012. So um, into like, and during that time, I ra- like raced all over like amazing awesomeness um and then in 2012 um I was was with the Trek Factory team uh, and it was just time for me to try something new um and and in my life there was like some major relationship issues um that resulted in like a major friend shift and I just needed changes all over the place and so I changed pretty much everything I changed my sport to Ironman um, I changed my boyfriend. I changed everything. <laughs> um, and so that um, kicked off my 70.3 stuff. And I never thought I was going to ever do an Ironman. I was pretty happy to never do Ironman. But then I guess I was in an interview at this 5150 race in Saskatoon. And somehow it came out that I was going to do Ironman the next year. I don't know why I even said it because I, w- <laughs> I wasn't really planning to do it. But then I said it on TSN. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm committed now. Maybe it was like a subconscious thing. Okay, this is the final frontier. I'm going to retire now. It's 2012. This is ridiculous. you got like, how much time do you have? Little did I know. Um, so, so then I went to um, by 20. No, I think that was in 2014. I said that. But anyway, so 2015, I raced my first Ironman. And then 2016, I broke my ankle and like breaking your ankle sounds like a pretty like randomly, not that big a deal, but it was a three year recovery. Um, what I did to my ankle. Um, and I, I, I like to make that actually another sort of pause and reset on my career because that started my like real growth phase as, um, as a coach, um, Mm. And um, because at that point I had to learn how to run again. And mm-hmm. um, I think that until that point, I didn't really understand coaching running. I didn't understand coaching running for people who really can't run. Um, and because, you know, I think sometimes we just have things through a lens of our own experience. And, you know, I was like, I wasn't a great runner, and, but I could run fast enough to win races. Um, and like that where I really couldn't run I was not agile I couldn't do anything was was the you know started career what are we on now 5.0 where it was like okay (laughs) like I also got dropped from like I I basically lost my contract because I you know couldn't perform so I wasn't really a professional athlete anymore um and I focused a lot more on okay like I'm I'm going to be pushed out of the sport now I can't I don't have any sponsors so uh, that's when I made coaching my primary objective mm. and racing just, you know, for fun. So, so now that we're on like, you know, 5.0, the difference is that most of what I do, um, is related to understanding what I think I know. So if I, if I believe that something should work, I, I generally like try it for me then I'll try it for somebody really different for me. Um, and then I start to just formulate an opinion on how things work. Um, and the difference between me now and me in 2011 is that me now races Ironman. So, so the main, um, drivers of success in Ironman are strength, endurance, um, and, you know, strength and it like efficiency. Whereas like what would make an athlete, um, really good at, terror racing is is an athlete who's much more um stochastic uh you know a lot of can you define that for people 
Okay, yeah. So like it's really on off. So if you 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 need to have a lot of um, anaerobic capacity that you you definitely need a strong base of endurance to recover from all that high intensity, but you need to have a great deal of maximum speed potential because if it's minimal or it's not that high above what your your threshold is, then um, it's not going to take long to deplete that reserve, and then you're just going to go slow. You don't have the ability to accelerate. Um, and mountain biking is all about a variety of different accelerations and holding speed well above what your threshold is. So, so that stochastic nature of, of Xterra racing, um, meant when I first came to Ironman, I was really bad at flat courses, like bad, like I was big and strong and slow <laughs> because I just couldn't hold it for as long. And I also wasn't good in the, in aerial position, but hilly courses like Lake Stevens, where it was much like a mountain bike race, where you're going up and down. Awesome. Totally. Totally right? understand so, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and if you rewind even further, before I was an Xterra athlete, my I won the Sea Otter short track. I won a bunch of short tracks, right? So, my natural um, capacity was like that, you know, short, punchy racing. And so, to turn that athlete into an Ironman athlete, and then to say now, hey, like, I think I'm as strong as I was back then is simply a result of having a bigger aerobic capacity. It's not that my um, maximum speed potential is better. It's that I have that much bigger an engine overall now to just absorb it better. Because back then, I didn't have the engine. And if I look at my World Cup races when I was younger, I just didn't have a big enough aerobic capacity. I didn't, like, I didn't slow down enough when I was doing my long training to develop that you know the mitochondria to, to absorb that and so i would die an hour in, i'd i'd have a great start i'd be off to the races and then inevitably by the last lap i'd be fading because i i trained too hard i chased the guys too much while i was younger and i never developed that but now i have that and so you know i may not have as much anaerobic capacity as i might have had back then or even care as much to crush myself as much as i did back then but i can just absorb it better so it's, it's sometimes when you look at it, it's, it's not the same, but it's equivalent, right? And, and that's how I would describe the, the evolution of, you know, myself as an athlete. That's fascinating. That makes so much sense. That makes so mm-hmm. much sense. It does make me wonder, like when you, you know, I hear a lot about um, athletes in the menopausal transition and, and, you know, your experience is definitely different, but you know, that they, they can't spend quite as much time in that quote unquote sweet spot area, that gray, that gray zone that they do better with polarized training, right? They do better hitting the high notes and then going, you know, into that real recovery sort of like phase that easier stuff. And, you know, Joe Friel talks about that with aging athletes in general, you know, like there's a, there's a polarization. I'm, I'm wondering how your training looks in that respect, given everything that you just said, because you know, I mean, Ironman athletes sort of live, you know, you compete in that zone, right? I mean, that's where you're, that's your race. So what mm-hmm. is, what does it look like? What does your training look like as far as where you put your, your, if you, you know, I, I don't know if you go by zones, but like where, how you break that down. Yeah. And, and I, I think that everybody's experiences is different. Um, and I, I'll, I'll preface this with the training that I do is not different than what um, the athletes I do, because I think that as a coach, I obviously have a philosophy, right? And right, so right, like, this right. is my philosophy gotcha. um, yep. and it may or may not work for you. It works for a lot of people that I work with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if I describe my training, it would probably be like, it, it would be a philosophy that I use for somebody racing Ironman. Right. Gotcha. And, and I think that an athlete that's racing Ironman is different than an athlete racing Xterra, right? So mm-hmm. the philosophy to come to an Xterra at event in shape is going to be different. But if we take Ironman specifically, um, I don't think there's any way to get around that in order to go your fastest at an Ironman or to run a fast marathon, your objective is to um, extend your endurance at the specific pace that you want to go at, right? So you want to be able to hold the highest power you can for a bike for 180 kilometers, and you want to run as fast as you can for a marathon. And so those two things are like in that zone of, you know, exactly sweet spot. So coming into an Ironman, there's no way around it. You need to do a lot of time in those zones and, and be strong enough to absorb that training. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to do Ironman, that's what you do. But I think that 
in my experience with athletes that come to me, um, they are always training like that. Right. And so they, yeah, I, I, they're, if you always do the same thing, then your body just is not going to adapt. Right. At at a certain point, sometimes you just have to change something simply to change it because your body is just tired of whatever you're doing. Um, and I think that most people overtrain the specific period for Ironman. Like they train way, way too long for, for it. Um, and I think that I can also, like, I, I want to qualify that with, I think some people try to do Ironman too soon, right? Like, so if you're, if you are trying to do an Ironman and you've never done anything long, um, and all you can do is just try and like build up some you know, capacity, like just do some mileage to do it, then that's probably too early. Like I think you should start to build up some capacity, do something a little bit shorter and give your body some time to build up to it. So that would be one thing. But, and then for those who have some capacity, I think that you start with like as much speed potential as you can. And so you you say what that means to find that. So, yeah. So like you want to, you want to have, um, you want to be able to run a pretty fast 5k because okay. then you're going to be able to slow down a lot for a marathon. Yes. But if there's no difference between your 5k pace and your marathon pace, your marathon pace is going to be really slow. Gotcha. And then that distance is going to be really far because the speed that th- like being able to run fast for a 5k also improves your economy, right? So that you can slow down and actually be like more efficient as you slow down. Um, but if you don't have, like, if you haven't done any, any speed training or anything like that, um, you, you won't be very ec- economical. So it'll cost you just a ton of energy. Totally. Um, and then also like, if you start with that, that fast work to build up your economy and, and, and develop some better run form, um, then what you're doing as you get closer to your race is you're getting more and more specific about fuel usage, which Ironman is really about um, being economical like this, both from a biomechanical perspective, like, you know, like your feet not being on the ground, just like you are holding your, you are balancing your skeleton over your ankles so that you land direct force in the right direction and propel yourself forward. Um, so that's biomechanical economy, but then you also need to be fuel economical, which means practicing eating as much as you can, because the more you can eat and absorb, the more energy you have to put out and you can go faster, right? So Ironman is a lot about that fuel usage. And and that's what the training that you're doing into Ironman is more about than anything is, is being able to practice eating and going at this ridiculous pace. And a lot of this like breakdown that happens in the Ironman um, doing this sweet spot stuff is people are doing it and not eating. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're not recovering. So, so they're doing these, they, they come home from work and, and they like are trying to burn some calories, you know, so they're not eating while they're doing it. And then they, they're riding around in zone three, which is burning sugar the whole time. And if it's not available, you're, you're, are, you're going to, I don't know, break down whatever is there. And then they want to go to bed because they just is late at night. And so they don't want to eat enough then either. Um, and that Ironman training, it leaves a dent for a while, right? So you're, you've been burning, you're in a zone where you're burning sugar. You are depleting your nervous system because it's a little bit too hard. It's not really aerobic. Um, and then that has a knock on effect if all your training is in that zone. So, so more of the time Ironman training, it's itself is not the problem. It's the managing that it's, it's, it, it costs a lot and it's hard to recover from. Uh, so yeah, when you're in that phase, it's really important to be like eating a ton while you're, while you're doing that, because that's kind of the point. So it's, it's a complicated thing, but I would say that you, you go from, you want to develop as much speed as possible. And then I start to get into more of, okay, what's our highest threshold possible. And then we start to like narrow it down to like our, our aerobic threshold and what is actually, um, the Ironman pace we can hold. And then we're going to just feed ourselves to like hold it a lot of the time leading into Ironman. And so that's um, how I would describe that sort of progression. What does the recovery look like? And, and, and for you specifically, has your recovery process changed over time? Um, 
Well, I, I, like, yeah, because when I was in my 20s, I would go out and eat pizza and drink wine every night after training. Right. So yes. certainly, like, my my attention to that has changed. And and more more just from an Ironman perspective, because I'm just so tired, right? Like, Ironman <laughs> is just exhausting, right? You spend so much time doing training in that zone. It's, it's tiring. So, um I think that more my life just fits recovery better than it used to. Uh, and I, I, again, so if we talk about 2012 and that like shift, the lifestyle that I had um, when I was racing Xterra versus the lifestyle that I have um, now is, is more conducive to, to what I'm doing. I, I think that, um, you know, I'm really well supported by my partner now and he really challenges me to, you know, focus on what I'm doing and, and do it right. Um, whereas in the past I, I used to be more apologetic for what I was doing, like, Hey, let's make life fun for you. Um, so let's not make it all about me. And, and, um, Mike, and and certainly it's not all about me, but he's like, if you're going to do something, do it right. Right. And, and I think that that attitude, um, has just been like, he's just an incredible support in that way to not just like be a good athlete, which he's like happy if I'm an athlete or not, but more just if, if you're going to be a coach, be a great coach. Right. You know, like if, if that, if this is your business and this is what you do, um, go after it as the way you, what you did as a professional athlete, be as good as you can. Mm-hmm. And so just that, that attitude of quality, um, just kind of coincidentally helped me be better as an athlete because I'm not doing dumb things that I used to do when I was younger. And so that lack of dumb stuff just kind of, kind of like filled in some gaps that would be there now. Right. So it, right. it's more the sad part. Um, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this is that, um, how much better could I have been? Right? I don't you know. know. Like, no, let's back, you let's know, not think about that. <laughs> like all the stupid things we did when we were younger um, and how much faster we could be. And that's just why, why I love to marvel at the, the next generation of athletes because they're doing this stuff right. We didn't know. I know. They are. <laughs> they're so good. And it's because they're doing everything right. Thanks to us giving them all this Hell Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's no, hilarious. I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding, sort I'm of. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, so practically speaking, though, I'm I am curious, like, what tools you use? Do you have a Do you have a massage gun? Do you have Do you have all those things? Like, what do you do to like keep yourself? Because it is, I mean, Iron Man it takes a lot out of you. I strength train. Period. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I never get training. massage. Yeah, never tell me massage. about that. Talk to me about that because it really does help. Like, I think massage, so I don't, I don't begrudge anybody getting massage and every once in a while I like to go because it feels good. And, um, I think it, um, it definitely is relaxing. Um, and, and maybe, maybe if you have, um, a niggle of some sort, um, there's a lot of research that shows like touch, um, helps your nervous system relax. So, so certainly if I'm hurt, uh, like, or if I, if I have something going on, I'll go for some help. Um, I, I get, uh, I see a guy here in Victoria, uh, Jamie Grimes, who's a really great chiropractor. And so I get ART if I have a niggle, but mm-hmm. really, um, I don't, I don't really, I, I think things like massage guns and, and things like that, they are, um, they're like prophylactic things that, that help your nervous system relax. So if you like, if you thump an area, it sort of calms it. Um, so that can be helpful. Does it really speed up recovery or does it just help you overall relax and not worry about your, you know, sore leg? Right. So six and one, do I spend time on that? No, I don't spend any time on any of that kind of stuff. Um, but I, so I sleep, like I try to, I sleep and I sleep eight to nine hours. So if I'm tired, um, and I go to bed and I'm like, okay, I'm going to need a 10 hour sleep. I'm happy to skip a session, right? I'll just Mm -hmm. skip it. I won't go. Um, I have the luxury of creating any schedule I want for everything. 
like I, so I, I create the schedule that I'm going to work. I'm going to create the schedule that I train. Um, I'm going to adapt my training to whatever is going on in my life up to the minute. Um, so I am very flexible and I'm not committed to anything that's written in training peaks at all. And I think that is a major thing for, for athletes that are, um, of this age is to just be like, it's not happening and just let it go. And I, I try to instill that with all the athletes I work with just because I wrote it down doesn't mean it's magic. I have no idea in advance what is going to happen. Right. So there's it, it not not completing what was written is not going to be devastating to your overall progress. Like we just adapt it. And, that, and that's kind of athletes that are in my program. That's the nature of um, how I coach is that if you need to make a change, it's probably not going to happen five minutes before. So you're going to have to, you're empowered to make these decisions. But if we have to change something after we do, right. The, right. the program is not nailed in stone. And, and I think that that is something that helps me to recover because um, like under recovery starts with the programming. So it, it's not, it's not that you're not recovering. It's that you're over programming. Mm-hmm. or you're doing too much stuff. So you just start like start with the programming and make it as ideal as possible so that you can actually absorb what you're doing because it's 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 not it's overtraining is just overdoing. Right. So I right. just don't overdo. I'm I'm pretty conservative with myself and I, I try to be conservative with athletes that I work with. So so I don't need a lot of massage or right. any of that stuff. Let's talk protein. As you've heard a million times on this show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more. Two grams per kilogram per day, which for me is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone, so it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branched chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevenex has a good one, Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find, and is also super rich in all of your branched chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders, which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Nerify has more than 130 positive reviews, including one from Hip Play Not Pause listener Donna, who gave it five stars saying, I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So listeners of the show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use hit play, all one word, all caps at checkout for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. But talk to me about your strength training. Have you always strength trained? Because there was certainly a period in your career where that was discouraged, you know, for endurance athletes. Um, Have you always done it? And where, you know, what role does it play? Like, what does it look like now? Cause I'm a, I've always been a huge fan of it. I feel mm-hmm. so much better when I'm strength training. Yeah. I think it started, I started in 2011. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what I think is like, was, uh, the watershed motion moment for me because 2011 was an incre- was a really good season. I started it injured. I had an injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got it strength training. <laughs> my form obviously wasn't very good. It started with uh, like my season started at Oceanside and I had an adductor issue um, going into that season. But it's like, I mean, I, I won the race in Spain shortly after. So it kind of resolved itself and I stuck it out. Um, and so that was started more with like kind of more like boot camp type, just lifting weights randomly. It was not organized or focused the way that I am now. Um, 
And yeah, and so I, I think from 2011, 12, 13, 14 was like the boot campy type stuff, like just lift some weights. Yep. Uh, the past three years have been like learn how to lift properly, like learn how to do Olympic lifts, learn how to lift heavy, work on your form. Um, and so now I do like a day where I lead a mobility class. Um, so I do a full hour of mobility with my group and I, I sort of move that around what we're going to focus on each week. Um, and then if I'm in an Ironman build, I only have one day that I set aside for strength training. Um, and that day I like, I, there, there's some research where you can like do the strength training and then do something like moderately endurance after and not, um, cross your signals. But I just leave the whole day to be. Um, I might go for a swim in the morning and then way later in the day, I'll do strength training and I won't do anything else. Like I basically, that's my anabolic day. Um, and it, it, it reduces the amount of overall volume I do weekly. Uh, but I think it's worth it. So, um, I do that. And then I do a lot of what I call, um, they're more like bodybuilding sessions, right? They're not super heavy. They're not super long and they're, they're just like an all over body thing. Um, and I do those frequently uh, when I'm Ironman training less frequently because the overall volume is so high that I might just do the do it on days where I do harder runs. Uh, but I, I just do 20 minutes of whatever. Uh, I have like a variety of little routines that I share with my group and and they just sort of are like my reset. So instead of stretching, um, I'll do somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes of weights after a session uh, that yeah, just sort of reset my body and, and give me that little boost of, you know, hormones that you get from strength training. Um, and if it's not in an Ironman build, so, you know, after this block and going into the winter, I'm in the weight room twice a week, heavy. And then every other day I do that 20 minutes. So I go into an Ironman block having done somewhere between five and six days a week of strength training all the time. So I'm, kind of bomb proof going into that block and I can back off a little bit, focus a little bit more on the endurance stuff. And then I'll just get back into, into the heavier stuff. The only reason I'm not doing it right now in this block with the Xterra stuff is I'm doing quite a bit of explosive training. Um, and I'm just leaving like more time to recover from all this stuff because jumping and resisted jumps and stuff like that is, I don't know how much I can absorb. So I'm just trying to be careful. <laughs> Is so, that new for you, the explosive training? Yeah. Well, this much focused on, I'm, it, again, it's like I haven't trained for Xterra in a long time. I'm coming off an Ironman block. I don't right. know what is going to happen. So just, I think sometimes it's a good idea and you can overdo a good idea. So I, I'm trying to underdo my good idea I understand. <laughs> and arrive at the race ready to go. <laughs> And what, what, I have actually included some of this stuff, maybe without the resisted jumps um, for athletes that are doing this race. So um, it, I, I think it is, uh, I think some non-specific um, power training is, is really good for like, for like an ITU or an Xterra athlete. What kind of resistance, uh, explosive resistant moves are you doing? I'm just curious, like what that looks like. Yeah. So just, it, it's pretty simple. Like, um, I'll do some, like some routines where I'll do like some, uh, like a potentiation. So like they'll, you know, like some kind of isometric hold, like either like a squat where you kind of go into a quarter squat and you hold it. Um, you could, um, you don't even like you, you can resist that. So maybe you have a trap bar and you, and you, um, hold it underneath a squat rack. So you're pushing against the squat rack. So like a few seconds of that to just sort of prime the muscles and then do something like, a, um, do a jump squat or a box jump. And then next do, so like, I, I think the routine that I gave my group was, uh, they do a quarter squat and hold it three times, uh, just for like five seconds. And then I take a little break and then they do four box jumps as fast as they can on and off. So it's a low one. Um, and then they'll do a jump squat where they jump as high and as fast as they can. And then it's a tuck jump. So they pull their knees up and they're just really going for like a maximum um, and do that. And then they take a really long break and maybe do that two times. So it's, and it's all about just being as fast as possible because right. um, 
Yeah, because I, I think that, that like with running, um, I'm trying to teach my athletes how to run fast, like how to sprint. Um, but a lot of people don't know how. And so if they, they can't ever do anything that fast running. Um, and similarly with cycling, it's, it's complicated. Uh, you definitely can't do it on the trainer. I don't know how anybody sprints really fast on the trainer because it's so awkward. Um, and that, like it's just more complicated to do it as a specific sport, whereas if you do it in the weight room, it's simplified. And so you right. can... And I, I think for athletes, um, particularly menopausal women, um, that rate of force, so the recruitment speed um, is one of the things that goes the quickest um, yes. because, you know, we're losing that. And so yes. that that is something that I think is really important to keep in a program, but keeping in mind, it's extremely taxing on your nervous systems. You can't do too much. Right, right. And the nervous mm -hmm. system takes longer to... Mm -hmm. to restore and recover um mm -hmm. this sort of segues into like what was going to be one of my last questions for you because i heard you talking about uh blocks of focus for triathlon training but it, this seems like what you're saying seems like that like you, you you said like that's my this is my period where i make myself bomb proof and then this is my period is that yes. what you were talking about when you were talking about like blocks of focus mm -hmm. yeah i i think I think that I always have, you know, an objective, you know, and, and so you need short and long-term objectives. Like what are the qualities that we need to have in place to be the athlete that we want to be at the race that we're focusing on? And, and you can't do everything at once. Like, I think you always want to drip feed some of these qualities. So, you know, when you're training for an Ironman and you're not trying to be fast, you still want to do some high cadence stuff. So you don't lose your, like your ability to ride at a higher cadence because you'll lose your, like all of your high end capacity. So, but is it a focus? No, it's just a tiny bit of drip feed to maintain something, but Maintenance isn't enough if you actually want to acquire a new level of any certain quality. Um, so that's why I think breaking the season up into, okay, what do we need to be able to do by when? And then where do we need to start getting really specific and just being satisfied with where we're at? Because now it's time to like just do race pace and be ready for this race. Um, so, so yeah, so uh, uh, athletes right now might be working on, sprint speed running they might just be working on run capacity so just working on mileage um they might be spending this whole month um working on their mountain bike skills you know th like just emphasizing a quality um to have it in place later and and so that's where I, when i look at blocks that's kind of what i'm looking at or what are the puzzle pieces that we need to start looking at before we start putting the whole puzzle together that's nice because then like you can you can put all your intention into that. Like, I feel like, yes. yeah, a lot of times people are scattered, right? They just want to yes. like hit all of it and then none of it gets your full attention. Yes. Or they do a little bit for a bit, but not enough to make an, a, like an appreciable difference. Right. right? You, right. Like sometimes it takes like some commitment to something where, so, and, and, and that means you also need to uh, measure it. Okay. Where are we now? And where are we then? How are we going to like make this block a success? When do we, how do we know like what we've got to? So benchmarking is, is good. Uh, but I think that one of the biggest mistakes I see in athletes is they don't change their training. They do the same training week in, week out. And, and even, so I have some athletes in my group that, uh, that are part of my training for a rad life group. Right. Not everybody in my group is like Jason, who's like going to Kona and he's like he's full on. He's so fast. Right. Not everybody is committed to being fast like him. Some just want to be that person who shows up at a group ride and crushes everyone randomly. Right. They just want to be fast just for themselves. And even if you're that person, uh, you still have to change what you're doing. You can't have the same routine week in week out and, and you can't have the same focus because a it's boring um and you and you're just not going to love what you're doing um and b bodies can only handle somewhere between six and nine weeks of any any stimulus and then it has to change just for the sake of changing not just like just doing anything different and you're gonna actually get a response whereas like and and then you can go back to what you liked before but you have to change it periodically so 
no matter what level of performance you're going for, you, you have to constantly be changing what you're presenting your body with. So, so this blocks idea is based on, you know, science, <laughs> but it's also, I like just how I like to organize. Like, I just like to get, you know, do my shopping trips. Okay. I'm going to get some of this stuff and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to get some of this stuff and then I'm going to take all my ingredients and I'm going to put them together and, and, and make this next person. That is a perfect analogy for that. That is a perfect <laughs> analogy for that. Is there anything uh, that we haven't talked about that you think would be useful for this, you know, the women in this audience who are, you know, striving for their own personal high performance during what, you know, it kind can kind of be a, a challenging time for, for a lot of women? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the most important thing is that is, is something I forget, um, uh, Sophia Nymphus did this presentation for us at Altus. So Altus is, um, did a mentorship where uh, they took a bunch of women coaches in and, and paired us with Dan Pfaff, who's like a legendary um, coach. And I just working with them was, it was amazing because I just had access to uh, coaches um, at a really high level from a variety of different sports. Um, and it took me out of the bubble of triathlon or, or cycling or endurance um, and, and helped me kind of view athletes in a different way because I was all of a sudden looking at a variety of different kinds of athletes. Um, and, and so Sophia said her, her statement was you are unique, just like everybody else. Right. <laughs> and so, so I think that, um, in searching for a community, sometimes we can, um, put ourselves in a box. And, and I think that that was the reason that I'm still doing what I'm doing. And the reason that I've had some level of success is that I refused the box always. So, um, when I was 40, which is eight years ago, um, I went and I did a, a mentorship, uh, with a coach where I would just basically go and swim with his group of like little kids, like, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. Um, and I would just, and, and just to see what he was doing from a coaching perspective, like what, what, what's he doing for long-term athlete development? He was an extremely successful development coach. And I just wanted to know. Um, and I took a lot away from that, uh, in terms of developing older athletes that don't have those qualities. But even when he was working with me, he would constantly be saying to me, Hey, you know, like you need to rest more because you know, you're older and you're not recovering from this stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't think so. I, don't, I just, you're not right. <laughs> and I just ignored him, right? Because I was like, no, I, I, I'm not tired. That's not what the problem is, right? That's not why such and such a thing isn't working. It was more. And so, so in this particular case, I was having a hard time. Um, I like get just getting any faster or like mm. swimming faster and, um, and it wasn't that the swimming like short um, uh, sessions with lots of intensity wasn't working. It was that I didn't have a good enough stroke to swim fast. And I wasn't responding to the high intensity because I wasn't doing enough longer, slower swimming to absorb the intensity. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that I was older. And so I think that when people say, okay, you're older, you can't do sweet spot training. You know, no, sure you can't. You just need to eat properly and arrive at that block of training, ready to do that training, like be durable enough, be strong enough to, to be able to sustain that. Cause it takes a lot of strength endurance to do sweet spot training. Um, and no matter who you are, you have to know yourself, like what, what works for you as an athlete. So you, you really have to pay attention to what your body is telling you, because what's going to work for you is going to be different than somebody else. And studies like studies in air quotes, like the uh, women's studies, like where they have women in a group, it might be 15, right? And how many women did you say are listening to this podcast? Like 600,000. <laughs> that's how many plays we have but yes yeah, so yeah, 3, okay. at, at any given time yeah. yeah yeah so 
I'm sure there's more than 600,000 menopausal women in the world, right? And like, I bet you, you you'll have a handful that have actually been involved in any study, maybe oh. less than a handful, right? Yeah. Like maybe two or yeah. maybe, none. maybe, maybe none. Right? <laughs> none. So there's like no studies on what is going on in this group. And even if there were studies, like how many of the group are like me and have been training consistently since they were in their twenties, like a, a tiny percentage, a fraction. So where we're at in terms of um, like performance at this age group is just the cusp of what is possible. And I think you can conflate, um, you know, lack of focus or like, like improper training or whatever with like um, lack of capacity. And what I mean by that is that, um, I think performance is more related to your fitness than it is your potential. And uh, what, what they are saying about aging and lack of recovery is more related to, um, let, I'll take women in, in particular, like they, like what we'll have is women who were great athletes in college, and then they take a huge break to have kids for a really long time. And then they have little kids running around monopolizing all their time. And then they have their career that they're coming back to monopolizing a whole bunch more of their time. And so they've just spent something like 20 years not training that much. Right. So all of a sudden the kids are gone and they decided that their career just really isn't that important to them anymore because who cares? I want to be fit and healthy and I want, this is my time. Um, and so all I have to do is get back to being fit and your, your potential to absorb training is related to how fit you are. And so you, it's not that you're older, it's that you're just not fit enough yet. So start with where you are right now and be realistic about, okay, how much aerobic capacity do I have? Because ultimately that determines everything. Like how many hours of training can I put in and how many years of lots of training can I put in? Because the more years and hours, the better I'm going to go. It's not about, you'll, you'll get a tiny bump here and there from doing blocks of this high intensity work, like what I'm describing doing right now, which I'm doing for five weeks of the year. I don't really do that kind of stuff all year, right? I'm just like, Here's my time. I'm going to race like this. And then what they're going to see is that that fitness makes them able to recover from stuff just like when they were younger because they're doing as much as when they were younger. And, and I think that if you prioritize that stuff, if that's what's important to you, then you just prioritize doing that and your body is going to respond to that priority. So, yeah, I think that a lot, you, you can't shortcut getting in shape and you can't shortcut being like really fit to being able to absorb this stuff. Um, but there's no reason why you can't get that fit and do all that work. That, that I, I think that is, it's not that your body is not capable of it anymore. And I think that from what I saw when I wasn't prioritizing my body and my fitness and this stuff, I felt the worst. Um, that's when I experienced the most symptoms. Um, and, and so that was just for me, okay, well, I don't think anything in life is, is more important than feeling good in my body. And so this is just going to be a like a lifelong priority if just I'm never gonna stop training like this because I'll feel like crap if I do and and that's what I think I say so to like athletes that are in my group that are training for a rad life train because you feel good when you're training like there's no I don't think there's a supplement or a gadget or anything like humans were, were hunter gatherers that are meant to move and do work. And so you just have to prioritize kind of a lot of work to, to feel that you're at your optimal performance. Um, and, you know, just prioritize that and you're going to feel good. Well, that's our show. And this will be the last one of the calendar year. 
We here at Feisty are taking a two-week holiday break to regroup, tie up loose ends, and enjoy our friends and family. We'll be back in the new year with a couple of super fun episodes, including a really great conversation on parkour with Dr. Julie Angel. And in the meantime, we'll drop a couple of our popular episodes in the queue for you to enjoy while we're away. So see you in the new year. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.